This episode is brought to you by DNA Fit, providers of state-of-the-art genetic testing. Their services build a roadmap for your individualized health, fitness, and lifestyle goals by testing the genetic markers that make you unique. As a podcast listener, you get 30% off by going to dnafit.com and using the code PRIMALBLUEPRINT at checkout. Also brought to you by Primal Mayo. Made with pure avocado oil, organic cage-free eggs, rosemary extract, vinegar derived from non-GMO beets, and a dash of salt, you can turn any traditional dish into a superfood with just one serving. Healthy mayo, who knew? The following Mark's Daily Apple article was written by Mark Sisson and is narrated by Brock Armstrong. Is the Paleo Diet Supported by Scientific Research? Part 2. Last week, I countered claims that Paleo's got no science with summaries of five recent and not-so-recent papers supporting the Paleo or Primal approach to diet. The reception to that post was strong enough that I got requests to cover a few more this week. So today, I'm going to explain the findings of five more relevant studies. Not all of the studies come from the original list, but each gives an accurate and important portrayal of the effects of eating in accordance with one's biology. More importantly, these are all interesting approaches to the diet, with some examining higher-carb paleo, some looking at higher-fat and downright ketogenic paleo diets, and still others trying to disentangle the beneficial effects of the weight loss that normally occurs on the paleo diet from the effect of going paleo. So, let's dig right in. The first study is called Favorable Effects of Consuming a Paleolithic-Type Diet on Characteristics of the Metabolic Syndrome, a Randomized Controlled Pilot Study. This was a cool one because researchers were interested in the effect of paleo-style eating on the metabolic syndrome absent of weight loss. Everyone knows that weight loss on any diet improves symptoms of metabolic syndrome, like hypertension and poor lipids, blood sugar dysregulation, etc. So this study sought to uncover any effects unique to eating paleo. Huh? How did it go? First off, it was hard to keep paleo dieters from losing weight. Seven of the 17 subjects in the paleo group lost enough weight that researchers had to provide extra snacks to keep their weight up. Once they got that under control, good things happened. Weight circumference decreased by 3.1 centimeters, an indicator of reduced belly fat, which is remarkable especially given the lack of significant weight loss, which was just 6 pounds on average. Systolic and diastolic blood pressures both dropped by 8.5 and 8, respectively. Both fasting insulin and glucose decreased, indicating better sugar control and more fat burning. Insulin resistance dropped. Blood lipids improved, with total cholesterol, LDL, and triglycerides decreasing. The takeaway? By all indications, metabolic syndrome patients can benefit from going paleo. If they were allowed to also focus on losing weight, I have no doubt that the numbers would improve even more. 
The next study was called Obesity and Cardiovascular Risk Intervention Through Ad Libitum Feeding of Traditional Hawaiian Diet. At first glance, the abstract of the study suggests a diet at complete and utter odds with paleo. It's low in fat, under 10% of calories, and protein, and high in complex carbohydrates. Complex carbohydrates in modern parlance are heart-healthy whole grains like breads, pastas, and porridge, but in this study that attempted to recreate the pre-contact Hawaiian diet, complex carbohydrates meant roots and tubers like sweet potato, yam, breadfruit, and taro. In fact, grains were restricted because they were unavailable in the islands before the Europeans arrived. The traditional Hawaiian diet used in this study consisted of unlimited amounts of sweet potatoes, yams, breadfruit, taro roots, poi, a mashed and fermented taro, fruit, seaweed, and greens from sweet potato, yam, and taro plants. About 200 grams, or roughly half a pound, of chicken and or fish were also included each day. All cooked foods were steamed, similar to traditional forms of Hawaiian cooking. The macros are a bit different from what you'd expect from a paleo diet, but the food quality is lockstep. No grains, legumes, dairy, seed oils, or processed junk food. No acellular carbohydrates like pulverized grains or bread, pasta, and flour, etc. Lots of leafy greens and nothing but whole, unrefined foods. What happened when the group of obese Hawaiians were placed on such a diet for 21 days? Well, energy intake dropped by 41%. This is crucial since food intake wasn't restricted except for the fish and chicken. Subjects were encouraged to eat to satiety, indicating this diet was pretty good at keeping them full. They lost an average of 7.8 kilograms. <laughs> they were still obese, but far less so than before. Blood lipids improved, LDL and triglycerides dropped, and even though HDL reduced slightly, the total cholesterol to HDL ratio improved. Blood pressure improved. Systolic dropped by 7.8% and diastolic by 11.5%. And blood glucose dropped dramatically. The takeaway, paleo diets can be high or low carb. Low carb does have a bit more of a clinical backing and in my experience is more effective for the severely obese and easier to adhere to. But the important thing appears to be grain, junk food, and seed oil avoidance. The subjects had sugar, but it was in the form of fruit. They ate complex carbs, but in the form of starchy vegetables. Paleo is a framework, and this paper illustrates that. And last, but not least, three Paleolithic ketogenic diet case studies. Because these involve a total of three patients, being case studies, I've grouped them together. Alone, a case study does not an argument make. Three separate case studies showing massive benefits for the individuals involved, on the other hand, raise even the most skeptical eyebrow. In the first, a 19-year-old male newly diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, blood glucose levels of 384, was placed on a ketogenic paleo diet after spending 20 unproductive days on the traditional low-fat, high-carb diabetic diet. This new diet consisted of meat, mostly red and fat-rich meats, eggs, 
organs, and fat, with significant amounts of non-starchy vegetables for a fat-to-protein-carb ratio of 2 to 1. Plant-based oils and artificial sweeteners were restricted. The only supplement given was 5,000 international units of vitamin D3. Upon going paleo-keto, his blood sugar normalized even postprandially after meals. He was able to stop insulin treatment following his first meal. On the original diabetic diet with supplementary insulin, his average blood sugar was 119. On the paleo-keto diet without insulin, his average blood sugar was 85. Blood sugar fluctuations also reduced from a standard deviation of 47 to 9. After six and a half months on the diet, he had maintained his progress without side effects. His LDLC and total cholesterol had gone up, but that's fairly standard on a ketogenic diet. In the second case study, a 65-year-old obese female with high blood pressure, hypoglycemia, angiopathy, likely diabetic, and a history of gallbladder surgery and colonic polyps was placed on a ketogenic diet. She was taking anti-diabetic and anti-hypertensive meds as well. On her new diet, typical foods included broth, stews, pork bone marrow, bacon, steaks, calf liver, and pork greaves, or cracklins. Vegetables like cabbage, onions, and root vegetables were used as garnish. How did it go? Over the course of 22 months, she was able to discontinue eight medicines, her BMI dropped from 37.1 to 31.6, which means she lost 14 kilos and counting at the time of the study's conclusion. And a normalization of both blood pressure, along with no blood pressure spikes in the final six months, and blood sugar. That was purely from diet. No supplementation and no exercise. In the third case study, a 7-year-old with absence epilepsy was placed on a ketogenic diet. Before the diet, she was socially withdrawn, hadn't gained weight or height in two years, and wasn't toilet trained. She was effectively developmentally disabled. Based on meat, organs, fish, eggs, and animal fat, along with some vitamin D3 and fish oil, the new paleo-keto epilepsy diet had an approximate fat-to-protein ratio of 4 to 1, with very little, if any, carbohydrate. And it worked incredibly well. Seizures stopped six weeks in. She grew 3 kilograms and 6 centimeters in 4 months. Her mood and social function improved enough for her to attend regular school by the study's end. The takeaway? A paleo-ketic diet using whole foods is just as if not more effective than a clinical ketogenic diet using refined, processed foods, whether the patient is a youngster with epilepsy, a young man with type 1 diabetes, or a middle-aged woman with metabolic syndrome. However old the paleo diets... However old the Hawaiian diet study, limited in scope, the paleo-keto case studies, or small in scale, the metabolic syndrome study, they remain effective ambassadors for the efficacy and diversity of the ancestral approach to diet. So the next time someone says, yeah, but what about those low-fat native islander groups? Or, 
but no studies exist showing you can safely eat bone marrow. Or, ah, but it's just the weight loss helping you. You can direct them kindly to this podcast. Again, let's hear from you over at MarkSaleyApple.com. What are your thoughts on these studies? Any surprises? Any disagreements? <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone. Take care and have a good day.